Welcome to the Maritime Vision Podcast, where we connect with industry experts to explore every facet of the maritime industry. This podcast is hosted by Paul Louis Holy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this third podcast video. And today we're going to talk with Mayank. Hello, Mayank. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Hello, Louis, and thank you for having me here for the po- uh, podcast. It's a pleasure <laughs> for me to have to have you. So maybe you can present yourself. Uh, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, uh, I'm Mayank, and I'm an international student studying Masters in Shipping and Transport in Rotterdam Maritime Institute, which is a part of uh, Rotterdam University of Applied Sciences. Uh, I'm from India and I did my bachelor's in naval architecture and offshore technology back in 2008-2012. So yeah, I'm an old guy now. (laughs) And uh, after finishing my bachelor's, I worked for two months with a shipyard in Qatar, uh, which was a partnership between Keppel in Singapore and and the Qatari government. So I worked there for just two months and then I decided that it would be better for me and for my career to go on board as a marine engineer. Okay. So I did uh, a pre-sea course in India, they call it a pre-sea course to become a maritime officer. So uh, I did eight months on shore training in an institute and a four months on ship training. Okay. After which I gave the exam for the license because you have to have a license to go work on board the ship. And I cleared my exams and uh, yes, and then I sailed for like six six or six and a half years uh, in the same company which has sponsored me for my cadetship and i started with the sailing on uh, dry ships like container and bulk carrier but uh, uh, in the later part of my career i switched over to the tankers and then i sailed on almost all, all kind of tankers Suez max products chemical mm. and yeah crude oil carriers okay so yeah, yeah. so wh- what did you choose engine uh, department on board ship yeah uh, the reason was because i already had had an engineering degree so it was a smoother transition for me to become to choose the engine department Uh, because tech department they study totally different things from what we study and i always uh, has that affinity towards the technical uh, 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 parts of the things so yes, uh, and I love my job because I love working with my hands. You know, it's a very hands-on job, and you get to learn about so many machines, and you know, and you have to uh, tackle those challenges on everyday basis on ship. So okay, yeah. okay, interesting. So what is uh, maybe that can it can be very interesting to talk about your daily routine. So yeah, okay. uh, every engineer has a particular set of machineries he or she is responsible for. So when I was fourth engineer, I was responsible for purifiers, air compressors, and bunkering, uh, USS chief engineer in the bunkering. And in my last contract as a third engineer, I was responsible for the uh, diesel generators, boilers, uh, freshwater generator, and all the life-saving and firefighting equipments on, in the engine room. Okay. Okay. Yes. For, so you, you almost sail in every part of the world. Uh, yes, I, I, I <laughs> Yes. Okay. So what is your? I was actually lucky enough to sail. I've seen. So I think I've sailed all the. I've seen all the continents, uh, leaving Antarctica, mm. of course, 
and uh, <laughs> wow. i've been to i've been to amsterdam and rotterdam before also before my masters when i was on ship sure. i went to norway i've been to spain and south america i have traveled so much colombia argentina uh, panama sure. and you know brazil um, it's a yeah. it's a it's a good the beautiful side of the job but um is it a tough a, a, compli- a difficult job uh, i mean what is the best uh, the biggest uh, challenge biggest difficulties in your job i think the biggest uh, challenge as a seafarer is to find that mental balance because you know you're away from your family mm. and then it's not an easy job you know because sometimes you just fixed up one machine and you went to your room and then another machine busted up so you were running down <laughs> to fix the other machine so you have to have that mental strength to you know okay. tackle those situations because uh, it's a very time bound industry you know imagine a tanker going at the berth and you are ready to discharge the oil and one of your pumps is not working and then your ship can go off higher and then you know it's it's a big thing so you have to be very That's quick with your with, with coming up with a solution to solve the problem and nowadays uh, we have pms and everything and you can you just don't wait for the machine to you know break down you take a preventive action at every certain intervals so okay. yes i think tackling those situations keeping your mental balance and staying mentally healthy on board is the most important job of a seafarer okay and in your experience what uh, kind of uh, big issue you have to, you have to face um, in on board a ship I think uh, yeah one of the issues uh, I didn't tell before was the people management because oh. I, I was working with a very diverse crew maybe the crew is from Philippines some of the officers are russian some are croatian some are ukrainian and oh. i'm indian so you know every culture is different in some cultures maybe something is good something is bad and you don't know and in that situation you have to deal with those people and okay. you have to work as a team so yes if you don't know how to manage people then i think you're going to have a tough time because you have you have to work as a team you cannot rely indep- independently on yourself and you you are not a superman you cannot do everything you know? of course <laughs> yes uh, hopefully uh, the the official language in the maritime industry this is english so everyone speak english so but you have different accents on the i know that's that's the biggest problem to sometimes you don't understand one accent you need to adapt etc i know it, it has actually happened with me because filipinos have a very different accent of saying things so oh. i was explaining something to my motor man and he didn't he did not understand he went and he did something else so oh. yeah that's why we have this feedback system on ship you know if if i tell you to do something you just uh, don't go and start doing it you have to tell me what you understood by what mm. i said and what you are going to do so we okay. follow this feedback communication system on ship and uh, that is actually very important for everyone okay on the another question very interesting this is, this, um, depend, depending the kind of ships so tanker or um, i don't know roro bulk uh, i don't know there is a big difference for you as an engineer to or it's almost the same uh, tasks no no it's a big difference because i have worked on containers bulk carriers and when i switched over to tankers it took me like 2 months to 
uh, just to those new machineries because on tankers you have extra safety equipments and you have boilers because if you are on a tanker where the pumps are run by steam then you have two boilers so there is always an extra machine then there is an inert gas system so as an engineer uh, it takes some time to understand the working of all those machines and that is an added extra uh, pressure on you because uh, for tanker loading and discharging is a very uh, important uh, operation it's the whole point of having a tanker so it it differs totally from the uh, container ship because for example in container ship you are not responsible for unloading or loading the containers show people come and they lift the containers with their crane and you already get a storage plan from the office so you don't have to plan anything but on tanker all these duties are uh, done by the seafarers so that is an extra uh, work pressure in the tankers okay so for you i think if i ask the question what is the most complicated one this is maybe tanker because you have more responsibilities it's more dangerous what you you have on board uh, you were asking me what is the most complicated ship in yes uh, as an engineer what is the yeah the Yeah, the most think, complicated uh, ships. From, from the ships, what what I did, I think the crude oil carrier I found was a bit mm. difficult mm. because uh, first of all, it's a steam turbine driven pumps, so you have to take care of the boilers. And I think the easiest tanker I did was a actually a chemical tanker because uh, they use the hydraulic oil for operating the pumps. So you just switch on the pumps and you just sit in the control room, you know. Okay. And, uh, I think everything works out, but crude oil carrier you have to run around, and there's there's a lot of automation on ships, but half of the time it doesn't work. So you have to do everything <laughs> manually. So you will be running like a crazy person up and down in the engine room, you know, trying to keep the machineries their yeah. optimum <laughs> working condition. It's very funny because uh, when I talk with people uh, working in the deck department, they always say for me the most complicated one this is cruise uh, ship. On ferry because uh, you have the responsibility of people uh, more. You have a lot of rules. On the, but for an engineer, that's not about people. It's more about the the, the ships itself. Yes, so yes. yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> so I think if you talk to deck people, they might have different perception because some of my friends think that for them container is difficult because uh, when mm. they come on tanker and until unless you become chief officer, it's not a lot of responsibilities. But once you become chief officer, then it's a very difficult situation for you out there. And uh, I yes. haven't done gas carriers, but I I heard from my friend that they are pretty intense too. But the the best point of gas carrier is they have a cargo officer, a cargo engineer. Uh, they call uh, they call as the one who operates the compressors. So they have a dedicated person for that. But on oil tankers, there is no dedicated person. So you have to do. Uh, loading, discharging, and your uh, normal duties mm. every day. So it's a bit more challenging, I think. Okay, interesting. And um, do, did you see the difference now with uh, because ships became like more modern, more automation on board ships? Did you see the difference right now when you start as a cadet engineer on after uh, second engineer? Uh, did you see the difference or not really? Yes, actually, I I saw quite a few differences because when I started my career, then most of the ships had like a normal MC engine they used to call, and 
in the later stage of my my career i saw that uh, more electronic engines are coming in, in the mm. newer ships so those engines are uh, very efficient and you can control them on a laptop you know it's like it's a amazing technology you can change everything all the parameters of the engine most of the parameters of the engine from your laptop from a dedicated computer and even the auxiliary machineries had more automation yeah, per se but but what i found was that uh, i worked on a old japanese ship with minimum uh, automation but the ship was so well built that it was like so smooth to operate it and i worked mm. on a brand new chinese ship with all the automation and none of the automation worked and we really had a hard time <laughs> figuring out oh, okay. things so, yeah, so, so i think it depends from where the ship has come you know. Okay, so sometimes automation is not a, a positive thing. Sometimes it's more complicated to manage. Okay, That's if true. it's not working, then you have to bypass the whole thing and you have to work manually. Especially for you. <laughs> yeah, for so, engineers, it's tough, tough time. Yes, I imagine. Yeah. And um, I wanted to, uh, also to ask, uh, what do you think about the future of uh, the seafarer? means because we everyone's talking about automation ships will be autonomous and uh, are you afraid care about this even if for you it's your your career on at sea it's, it's finished but for the future generation who want to sail is it do you believe on automation uh, i think the uh, automated ships uh, the Uh, will not come into the deep ocean going ships because i i did not work on the short sea uh, route i always worked in the deep sea uh, tankers so you will what i think that's my personal opinion for a good amount of uh, time you will need people on board the ship because a uh, ship is a very uh, dynamic environment you know things can change in like sure. 10 minutes or so i imagine your ship going into storm and there's a certain rolling and one of the tanks overflow or one of the pumps doesn't work or one of the machines fail then mm. i think it will take much uh, a long time to you know kind of put in a open ai or something to which can solve all those uh, problems and uh, without any human intervention but i think human intervention will always be needed on ships okay, okay. Uh, yes yeah. but we will need maybe less people on board ships but still needs a human to control the machine in case yes, of exactly. failure because, because when i started uh, i think we used to have like 26 or 28 uh, crew on board but slowly they started taking out people because of the automation and so, they justified it that you don't need two people for that so in my last ship we were only 19 or 20 people in total running a big tanker so okay. but you will always need human intervention i think the automation part can be automated ships can be for a smaller route say from rotterdam to oslo or something where you can control okay. the environment for the vessel but not for the deep okay. ocean okay okay interesting on the uh, so now we can talk about geography so in terms of uh, place in the world for seafarer uh, most of people from uh, seafarer come from asian countries like the philippines india Uh, um, but did you sail with people from Europe in oh, India? Okay. So, I think I have sailed with uh, Britishers. I have seen British cadets on board. It it depends on the government mm-hmm. policies because uh, one of the vessels which my company was managing, it was a London flag vessel, 
and uh, with the policies they they used to sponsor british cadets on board so yes okay. i have seen uh, i've seen a uh, few of the europeans but i think if you look at the history of maritime i think the danish and the britishers were the first one to man the ships and then okay. and then the whole thing started shifting towards the east because of the i think because of the salary so they okay. they were able to find a cheap labor in the eastern part of the world and i think then britishers left danish left and then indians took over and now we have indonesians vietnamese and chinese who are actually pushing indians out of it because uh, just to give you a number i, I met a chief engineer from china and a average salary of a chief engineer on tanker is for indian chief engineer is like 14000 and the chinese chief engineer was ready to work for like 6000 so yes i think well, if, yeah so if this is a huge difference and for ship owner money matters a lot you know so maybe course. in the future if the pay structure remains uh, the gap in the pay structure remains such high then maybe it will shift more to the But it's very interesting. I asked you the discussion because as an European people, for I was born in France, and I always always wanted to sail on board ship. But the only position I can do it was officer. It means I need to do a lot of studies and then become an officer. I couldn't start as a cadet because in the competition this is huge on people. The ship owner prefer to pay less expensive people uh, in Asia, uh, other countries than European people because we are very expensive. And uh, for me, it was not very good because you mean that you don't have experience and you, you, the first position you do is like managing people, but you didn't have a real experience as a cadet person on board ship. So yeah, that's yes, a big it's issue. It's a big problem now. because I think uh, the minimum wages in Europe are very high. And same yeah. is the case. Uh, once I remember we went to Australia and we were coasting Australia for two or three months and Australian government actually paid us money. because our salary was low according to their standards and because we were in coastal waters for more than a month or so so they paid the difference to us so imagine you are a ship owner from europe and you have two options to get a second engineer by paying 10000 dollars from india or 4000 dollars in vietnam so what will you select mm. you will go for the 4000 dollars right of course of course yeah. what is the the cheapest uh... Uh, nationality for shipping, like when you want to recruit a seafarer on board. I, I think I cannot answer like the cheapest because sometimes it it depends because the quality also matters, right? Even yes. if you are a Chinese and uh, you are sailing with a top-notch company, you would be paid according to the industry standards. But right now in mm. Asia, you know what is happening is because there is too much supply of the labor. there are some middlemen uh, who are extorting money and putting people on ship and they are sending them for very few, uh, very less salary you know so yes this this middleman culture is playing a big part in in the labor force in east eastern countries yeah. okay okay interesting on uh, uh, i have a question you said before it was uh, the uk danish people uh, who like managed or you can say the maritime industry what do you think about the netherlands because you st- you are, right now you are in rotterdam so what do you think about this country and the, the influence of netherlands in the maritime uh, industry a lot what i've seen because i have uh, 
two Dutch students in my batch who actually sailed on ship as a maritime officer. And uh, if you look at the Dutch flagged vessels, I think they have a strict requirement that you should have a Dutch document or a Dutch uh, citizenship to sail on their ships. So that kind of oh. puts a bound to, from what I have seen in two or three job pro- uh, profiles on LinkedIn. So I think that kind of puts a barrier for international people to come on Dutch ships. Because uh, to be frank, I've never met a Dutch seafarer in my career for seven years. And I'm pretty sure that there's oh. a, there's no Dutch seafarer in my company. We have British, Croatians, Russians, Ukrainians, even Dan- uh, Danish people from Hong Kong, China, everywhere, but not Dutch. So, mm. yes, I think, and, and the, there's one more part, uh, in the East, uh, when you come from the Eastern part of the world, they give you these longer contracts, like six months, eight months, which I, uh, which I think is not allowed in European Union. Because I've met a few seafarers from US and uh, Europe, and they were like sailing for maximum two months or 15 days on, 15 days off, or a month on, month off. But, mm. And they always get, uh, surpri- get surprised when I tell them that I sail for seven months at a stretch, because it's a long time, according to them. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And right now, you, you study in the, in the Netherlands. So, can you tell us about your reconversion? I can say you, you want to change your career right now, you want to stop sailing. Uh, so what is your plan? Uh, right now, my first priority is to get my thesis done, get my master's degree. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Good <laughs> luck with then, it. Yes, and then, as I was uh, telling you earlier, that I want to get into chartering. And for that, uh, I'm also preparing for ICS, Institute of Chartered Ship Brokers. And I plan yeah. to give the clear their professional qualifying examinations in November, I think I'll say in November this year. So they, they are like, I hope you know about ICS. Yeah, yes, of course. Um, about yeah. this institute, uh, do you need some uh, exam, uh, exam at the end, uh, what, how it works? So there are seven exams. Uh, and if you clear those seven exams, you become the member of Institute of Chartered Ship Brokers. And it's a very okay. renowned community of uh, uh, maritime professionals. And if you look on LinkedIn, even all the high-profile uh, brokers and charterers, they carry this membership. So it's a very unique okay. way of, of getting into that circle, you know, and extending your networking. What, what are the conditions to be part of this, uh, can say, training to have this certification afterwards? Okay, so if you go on their site, they have different programs. And uh, for me, for uh, they even give me, uh, I don't have to give two exams because I have this master's from my institute. So okay. I just have to give five exams. And uh, in out of seven, four exams are mandatory and three are the, uh, you can choose out of a list of subjects. So there is like tanker chartering, dry cargo chartering, ship sale and purchase, okay. marine insurance. So according to your interest, you can customize your course and and you have to read a lot. It's not very easy to clear those exams. So the uh, once you clear those exams and uh, once you become the member of Institute of Chartership Broker, uh, that actually means that you have gained that amount of knowledge and you mm-hmm. actually know stuff about the <laughs> what, uh, maritime industry. You know? so, okay. Yes. So your advice is every person wants to be to become a ship broker or charter broker, 
the best thing is to to get this certification to 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 work on to prepare the, the exams to to have this certification yes i think it's a very uh, i would not say important but a very prominent add on to to your degree mm. because it not only gives you the knowledge but it also opens the door to because they once you become the member you there are events like every 3 months or 6 months and you and they have their head office in london so imagine you being in london and meeting all those important people and and the people with who are in this industry from past 30 or 40 years so when you meet those kind of people your uh, your broadening uh, your knowledge horizons you know so okay you get the knowledge and you get the networking i think it's the best of both worlds with with these kind of certifications it's good to know it's good to know yes i i have no i know this uh, this institute on the uh, in, i plan to 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 pass the exam but now it's too early for me because i i have my studies extra but yes just before i finish my studies i will start to to work on it uh on yes i think not many people know about it especially young generation want to start in the industry uh, but yes it's very important to know that if you want to become a shipbroker etc sometimes you need to have more certificate more it's not just uh about uh have the degree you know yes of course because it's about experience to each each certificate uh, comes with a skill set you know so when you do a seven days course or five days course when you are a seafarer it gives you a certain skill which is needed on board and yes. personally for for you especially because uh, our institute rotterdam mainport institute is the center for ics netherlands yes. so and uh, we have our lecturers who are actually members of institute of charter ship brokers so they they give you all the knowledge and they can uh, help you in clearing those exams okay okay how many time you need to prepare this uh, certification no you can give it as long as you want <laughs> i mean i i i i met people for they took like three or four attempts to clear all the seven exams i've met people who cleared all the seven in one go so it depends on you and uh, how was your preparation uh, for the exam but every time okay. you sit you have okay. to pay the fee so that's the other thing okay interesting okay yeah. it's it's a very it's good to know and uh, yeah especially for people who don't know this and who wants to work in in brokerage so yeah very interesting So I want to ask you a last question right now. Um uh, completely different from other time. Uh, what is your favorite place in the world? <laughs> oh, <laughs> my favorite place in the world. Well, I would say that favorite place for me is India of course because my family is there, you know. And uh, sometimes it doesn't matter that how beautiful the environment is but if you are alone and uh, if you have no one uh, around you you don't feel that good so yeah wherever my family is i i feel happy over there but uh, yes i think uh, if you talk about the physical beauty europe is very beautiful uh, i have been to switzerland and belgium and uh, i haven't traveled much but i've just been to belgium and switzerland uh, and it's beautiful out there but yes so <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to know. I've never been to France. So thank you, my young. <laughs> after masters. Oh, you, you, you are welcome to France. Come, it's a very nice country. You have a lot of different uh, uh, scenery. It's very, very yes. beautiful country. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. So thank you for the, the interview, Mayank. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, maybe see you for next episode. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I would love to join <laughs> you for the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Maritime Vision podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights into the maritime industry. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, where we'll continue to explore the latest trends and developments in this fascinating field.